Today's guest on Fashion for All, the Smart Climber podcast, is Megan Kimberling. Megan falls under the model category of types of guests we'll be chatting with on the podcast. I'll let them introduce themselves properly. We touch on Megan's checklist for modeling work, her production work at her 9-to-5 job, issues with the plus-size fashion industry, and her advice for aspiring new models. Enjoy our conversation. Hi there. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Of course. Could you please introduce yourself? My name is Megan Kimberling, and I'm an editorial and fine art high fashion model, and I also am a creative director. Wonderful. Um, before we get into the modeling stuff, um, for folks who may not know, could you explain what you do as a creative director? Totally. So as a creative director, I help designers and brands make their visions come to life as far as um, their marketing and branding and uh, lookbooks. So often people come to me and say, this is what I want to do. And it's my job to make that happen and make that shoot or uh, video go as planned. That's awesome. And when did you start doing that? Um, I, I started doing it, oh man, maybe like three-ish years ago, um, a little bit after I started modeling. Um, I realized that I have a lot of skills that are needed to be an efficient creative director. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people that aren't necessarily models. So it's kind of my opportunity to bring all of these different um, talents and creatives together and to make something that's really awesome. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, from what I've seen that you've, you've done um, in that work, I definitely agree that <laughs> you're, you're clearly talented in that area. Um, so you're one of uh, two folks who model who I've asked to be on this podcast, but don't model for smart glamour, which mm -hmm. I would uh, assume on at least on my end, it's only because you live on the other side of the country. <laughs> yes, completely because I'm in LA and you're in New York. That's the only reason. <laughs> yes. Um, but I really, um, appreciate all the modeling that you do and you, you, uh, do it so well. And I love the photos that you put out. Um, and you know, obviously we've, we've been internet friends for a bit. Um, yeah. could you talk a little bit about, you know, when you started modeling and why and how and how that's how your modeling has changed over the years? Yeah. So I've had a kind of an interesting career as a model. Um, and my modeling is not my career, which a lot of people don't understand or don't don't realize. But um, my modeling is what I like to call a glorified hobby. So I don't really get paid from it. Most of what I do is all trade. Um, and it allows me to do exactly what I want, when I want, with who I want. So um, I very first started probably, oh my goodness, about seven years ago now. Um, I was running a photo studio in LA. And I had kind of considered trying my hand at modeling. But it just never, like, the stars never aligned. And then um, mm -hmm. as I was sitting there in a photo, photo studio with like six photographers, I said something and they looked at me like they'd all seen a ghost. <laughs> and they're like, um, you're literally in the perfect place right now. 
So I, I did a shoot and I kind of directed it myself. Um, I, I grabbed a couple of people that I knew another model that I knew. And I was like, can, can y'all help me please just do this. So we did it. And, and, um, I got a lot of good feedback. You know, I started on, um, Oh man, model mayhem. That That's a trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of my model mayhem page, I, um, I got a message from a husband, wife, photographer, makeup artist, um, duo. And they said, Hey, we're doing this, um, fine arts, like coffee table book series. And we'd like you to do it. And you would need to be nude. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so I talked to a few people, some of my friends, photographers, models, and I was like, what should I do? And first of all, they were like, we'll make sure they're not creeps. <laughs> and I was like, okay, noted. <laughs> and then secondly, they're like, if you feel that this is something that's appropriate for you to do and, and, you know, don't feel comfortable with these, with these people, then don't think of it as a, as like a bad thing. Like if you, if you're really interested in it, this might be great. And so I just kind of went, okay. And so I scheduled the shoot. I brought along a model friend and it was really chill. And I was definitely naked. And, um, (laughs) it was, it was, it was a whole thing. Um, but because of that shoot, I realized that plus size women, plus size models are just not, they're, 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 um, they're kind of a unicorn in the fine art area um Mm -hmm. of photography so i started getting a lot of a lot of requests and um collaboration offers saying hey i'd love to shoot you for this i'd love to shoot you for that um and my my biggest challenge doing that was finding that line between what i was comfortable with and what i was definitely not comfortable with because Mm -hmm when you get into that nude area and especially me being in LA and the porn industry is literally right up the block. Um, you had to be really careful about who you worked with and mm-hmm. what positions you were going to get yourself into literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of developed a, um, like a checklist for myself to keep myself out of any questionable um, situations that really, really helps just, you know, like if they won't meet me for coffee or lunch, then I'm not working with them. Um, if they're not willing mm-hmm. for me to set the the costuming, the wardrobe, then I'm not working with them. Um, just things that like, um, I kind of learned as I picked up where like, um, there's been a couple male photographers, older male photographers that refused to let me bring anyone on set with me. And I was like, well, that's a red flag, not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I was doing that, um, I started to bring in fashion more into my life just in general, but also in what I wanted to model. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I, I started doing less nude modeling, more fashion modeling. Cause I really wanted to, I really wanted to push myself and, and how my body was seen by people, by public. I wanted to be in more control of that. And so um, I, I realized that I could do, I kind of could get a um, a bigger audience, a bigger amount of people interested in what I was doing if I mixed it up and I did nude and fashion. And mm-hmm. so with 
fashion as well, I was able to say, this is what I want to see on my body. And this is how I want my body portrayed. And that was really cool. Just being able to say, I realize what what brands think fat people want, but that's not mm-hmm. it. <laughs> like I, I'm going to show you what I want on my body. I'm going to show you what I think my body should be wearing. And it's up to you to, to take that information or not. So, um, so then that was, Oh man, that was probably three or four years back. Um, mm-hmm. that I kind of started branching into the fashion more and it was really a, a chance for me to say the non-conventional fat body can also do editorial. And we're not talking about plus size editorial, plus size editorial and straight size editorial have traditionally been very different things. Um, because mm-hmm. as a fat people, we're supposed to be pretty. So skinny people, skinny models specifically, um, they can quote get a like they can get away with more than mm-hmm. fat bodies can so right. they're encouraged to take those risks with angles and positions and poses that fat people are told do not ever do do not ever put your body into that posi- that position it makes you bigger it makes you unattractive there's roles like etc cetera, etc cetera, right right so um i said i don't want to look like a plus size model doing editorial. I want to look like an editorial model. So I started really following and and studying straight size editorial. And that made a lot of people in the plus size industry mad. Um, Mm. They were saying, well, why aren't you supporting plus size models? Why aren't you supporting the industry? And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not like, this isn't my job. (laughs) Like it literally isn't my job. So this is a hobby for me and I'm going to do what makes me happy. And what mm-hmm. I think should be seen. And so after at about that time, I was picking up more creative direction. And I, because I wanted to do, I wanted to do stuff that I wanted to see. I, I wanted to create where there was a void. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, um, so after that, through a lot of different things, you know, you, you grow up, you mature. Um, I didn't see, I didn't feel like I wanted to do as much nude modeling. So I kind of cut back on that. Um, but as always, there's, you know, there's the, the people that ask you to do things and you're more than excited to do them. So I've definitely done a few, uh, nude projects in the past, um, past few mm-hmm. years. Um, but mm-hmm. I really started to get into the, the editorial and pushing myself as a plus size model, um, about, yeah, three, four years ago. And then I've just been doing that since. Um, though in the last year or so, things have gotten <laughs> much more difficult. Um, well, especially with, since, since March. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that kind of rounds it out until the, you know, mm-hmm. when I can like, I, yeah, I haven't been doing anything this year because of, you know, guidelines mm-hmm. and, and such. Uh, yeah. And I've been really trying to stay away um, as much as possible just for everyone's sake, not necessarily mine, but um, mm-hmm. because I think it's the right thing to do. For sure. Um, <clears throat> so that, that everything that you said, Brian, there's like a few, a few little notes I made um, to circle back to you. But before I get into them, um, can you describe your appearance for folks who may not know what you look like and are oh, just yeah. hearing them? 
Yeah, totally. So uh, I stand about 5'8". Um, I'm a U.S. like 20 through 24, depending on what I'm wearing. Um, I have short legs, a long, long torso, high hips. I'm only about a BC cup. I don't have a big ass like traditional models. Um, I have very thick legs. Um, I have tattoos literally from head to toe. I have half of my head tattooed. Um, I have a nearly full sleeve. Um, I have facial piercings, but I kind of look like a five-year-old. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and I have, I, usually have very short pixie cut hair in a plethora of rainbow colors. So to say that I am not mainstream is kind of an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, I was actually going to bring up the um, whole editorial conversation before you brought it up. But my first question about that is, so in, in the majority of the shoots that you're doing, are you styling yourself with your own things or are you working with um, stylists? Um, it totally depends on the project, but the majority of my stuff, I style my, my, my all my own stuff. Um, if I don't, I definitely make sure that those people get credit. Um, like the, the editorial piece we did for obvious magazine, I worked with a stylist and, uh, that we, he pulled a bunch of stuff for me, which was awesome. Um, but for a lot of my smaller projects, I don't necessarily work with another person. Um, just because I do have a unique body shape and I'm above the sample size for plus size. So sometimes it's hard to get, um, to get clothing for my, for my body, especially if I'm not there to try things on. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so also kind of in lieu of my question of like, how do you define being a creative director for people who might not know? I feel like there's probably a lot of people who don't really know the difference between different types of fashion related photo shoots. So how would you describe like what, an editorial photo shoot is versus like a commercial fashion shoot? So one of the biggest differences is an editorial shoot um, doesn't, it's not there to, um, to necessarily sell you on the clothing or the item, but sell you on an idea or a, or a dream of a vision of someone else's. So mm -hmm. Commercial shooting would be like if you go to the Old Navy website and all those models that you see with all the clothing on, that's all commercial. That's they're literally just like living mannequins selling mm -hmm. you clothing. Mm -hmm. um, editorial is like when you pick up Vogue and you open it up and there's this really awesome spread of like Ralph Lauren or whatever. And they're like playing polo and living the dream like that's they want to sell you that rather than the clothes. I mean, the clothes, definitely, they want you to buy, but they want you to, <laughs> they want, they want to sell you on the vision of what you could be doing if you were to purchase their clothing. Right. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good um, distinction that instead of it being uh, just like, here is a top, here's how you can buy it. It's more of a like, well-rounded concept of, of yes, like a feeling or an emotion or a type of branding or a combination of those things. Um, so you mentioned earlier that 
modeling is like a glorified hobby of yours and specifically in correlation to that that you can do exactly what you want to do um do you like hmm, how am i gonna phrase this question do you (laughs) um are you like actively keeping modeling as just a hobby for that reason or have you thought of slash attempted to get more paid jobs or do you or is it or is it just like no it's fine being a hobby because I want to be in control of it and I'm gonna leave it that way so it's it's a combination of all of the above really um about well when in the first couple years of of really deciding that I wanted a model um I was reaching out to to um agencies that's the word agencies all the time and um rarely would get any kind of uh um conversation and response um but i i would say probably the last three or four years when i when i realized that i wanted to do like true editorial high fashion um i realized that an agency really wasn't going to do for me what i could do for me and Mm -hmm. because i really do enjoy my my nine to five job um i wasn't i am not willing to give that up And, you know, I mean, it, I like my job and, uh, I'm good at my job and it provides me with a salary and, you know, security. Right. So mm-hmm. knowing that I would most likely have to give that up in order to pursue any kind of like more permanent position in my modeling, I just mm-hmm. decided that that wasn't for me. And I'm a little bit older and I'm, for the industry, right? Like I just turned 32. So, um, so I'm considered old in the industry. Um, and it just, I, I made a, a lot of decisions, excuse me, decisions. And, um, I still, every once in a while, if I find an agency that I think, um, reflects me and what I want to do, I will submit, but I've never gotten uh yeah, come on in and let's chat. So, um, I think that says a lot about where the industry is because I think that my work really speaks for itself and the fact that uh, people can't get past my measurements is really just disappointing and frustrating. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know. I think sometimes folks really like to applaud um, the industry for quote unquote becoming more inclusive when to me, I mean, I just because I know and I'm so um involved with so many different types of folks and I truly see the actual um diversity of bodies and human beings that exist in the world and then I look at what is being produced and I'm just like I I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see it. Um <laughs> and it's, it's and it truly is not, Yeah, right. And it's truly is just like it's just a choice. You know, people love to ask me why folks don't do it. And I'm like, cause they don't want to, cause they're fat phobic. I mean, I don't. <laughs> it's, it's exactly, um, it. it's, it's that they're, they're fat phobic. They don't think that they can benefit and profit off of a body that doesn't look like everyone else's or the idea that they want everyone else to think they need to be at. Right. Correct. Because when it comes down to is models for an agency, they're not, they're not an art, 
an artistic choice. They are a business choice. And all agencies truly see is how much money they can bring in in a year. I mean, yeah. True. <laughs> and it and it truly is a shame because, I mean, I just think that editorials would be so much cooler if yes. they had a variety of bodies in them. And, like, honestly, I mean, I have been interested in clothes and fashion. I suppose you can call it fashion for my whole life. Right. And I have never really been interested in editorials. And I want, and I, and I really do wonder if it, if from the start or even all of a sudden now, if they did become more inclusive, I'm sure I would pay more attention to them. I just oh, like, oh, I'm yeah. so uninterested and uninspired by pages of like impossibly thin, tall, white, when mostly women bored like i just <laughs> yeah. yeah and i mean it's it is it's the same it's the same thing over and over and we finally in the last maybe year or so i've been seeing plus size models actually push the envelope a bit on occasion mm -hmm. but um it's not it's not even a trend, you, you know, like you can't even right. call it that because it's, it's a, still an outlier. When you do see someone, you're like, whoa, that's, that's actually a pretty cool shot. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that happens once in a while. Like if you look through all of the straight size editorials that are like really fucking cool, it's still like, they still don't, the, the plus size editorials don't hold a candle to them. Like they just, they just don't. And it's not because fat people are boring it's because the industry won't allow us to truly shine and be creative in the way that we are supposed to be right absolutely and and um when you were talking on that earlier it, and talking on it now it reminded me a little bit to um the conversation i had with uh patricia in my very first episode of the of the pod where she was talking about um how even within the plus size industry when she goes to do any type of modeling that's not through smart glamour specifically um there are lots of conversations about like how to quote unquote hold your body and like you know, mm -hmm. what angle to show and looking smaller. And she and I have had lots of those conversations every time she'll go um, attempt to dip a toe into, you know, other plus size modeling. And then she'll come back to me and I'm just like, oh, it's so like completely unfortunate and so unnecessary, like to limit um, so many people in that way. Yeah. Well, and, and when I do shoot with smaller models, uh, which has, has happened a few times, um, it's always photographers always feel like they have to babysit me. Like as soon as they see me on, on, on set, they're just like, Ugh, a plus size model. Like you can, even if they don't say it, like you see it in their faces. Right. Mm. And, and then when it comes to my turn to shoot, like they, like they're all, they're upset because they think that they're going to have to direct me and like show me how to model. And then they get in their own way. And it's like, just let me do what I'm here to do let me model and you take the pictures because that's what you're hired to do. Like, don't feel that because I'm fat, I can't possibly know what I'm doing. Uh, I mean that as somebody who takes pictures of lots of different types of people, I mean, there is no one uh, body type that is better or worse at modeling. There are people who need more direction and there's yeah. people that need less direction and it has literally nothing to do with 
shape or size of their body. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey. Um, well, so you mentioned um, really enjoying what you do during the day. Do you mind talking about what that is or no? Yeah. So I am a product developer for a, a design firm. Um, we just recently moved the headquarters to Nashville, actually. Oh. Um, but I'm still in L.A. Uh, we have a small a small team in the L.A. office still. Um, and basically, I, I make things come to life for theme parks and pet retailers. And we do a lot of private branded stuff. Um, we also have a few of our own brands. Um, but it's been it's been really interesting. I, I never have the same day twice. <laughs> um, I work with a lot of big global brands. Um, and I can tell you for certain they are terrible, but I love my job. So, (laughs) but yeah, I I mean, I feel like a lot of people when they think about how products get made that are either within the fashion industry or just like slightly outside it in in the like more accessory space. Yeah. Um, Something that requires design, but also then requires, you know, production and et cetera. I think so many people don't realize the production side, you know, like totally. I and like just from having worked in a corporate design office on the design end. I mean, there's an entire, you know, group team of people yeah. doing just the production part. And I think a lot of people are unaware um, mm-hmm. uh, that that exists. So could you explain a little bit about exactly what your your job is or what production folks do? Yeah. So um, I do, for theme parks specifically, I do basically everything you see in the park except what you eat. Um, we do everything from apparel, accessories, scarves, socks, keychains, um, photo frames, journals. Like we do all sorts of stuff like that. So um, I definitely get a, I have a lot of, knowledge about a lot of different things and Mm -hmm. then in the park or in the pet industry we basically do everything except what they eat uh as well but um Mm -hmm. we tend to focus on um restraints um clothing accessory type things for dogs um and so then what happens is the artists and designers send me um 2d artwork and they say this is what it needs to look like these are the sizes i need um and then i pull together a tech pack which has the specs um all the pantone callouts the sizing for everything on the item whether you know how long the zipper pull needs to be to how thick the zipper tape is to um where the sonin label on the garment goes is it on the nape of the neck is it on the side um mm-hmm. how wide the binding is how thick the trim is is it cotton is it polyester is it a blend um how does that affect costing um what's the minimum order quantity for this style um do we have to use available market are we able to dye fabric if so what's the moq on the dyed fabric mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um is it going to cost to split the MOQ between multiple locations? If so, how much is that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how is this going to get shipped? Is it going to be in a big box? How many pieces are going to be in a poly bag? Um, is everything going to be in its own box? Uh, what needs to go <laughs> on the box itself? Um, I also do all the testing. So 
Mm. all of the products that need to be tested, which is the majority of them um, to some extent or another. Um, And I have a few good relationships with a couple labs in China and we do oh, all of the stuff that we do is produced in China. Um, mm-hmm. All of our factories go through significant audits on a yearly basis. Um, we have very great working relationships with them. Um, not all of the stereotypes and urban legends about how Chinese factories are run are correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely a very quickly changing space, the, the factories in China. Um, just due to a lot of environmental restrictions and laws that have been implemented and um, just um, civil liberties that are being enforced, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do, I do all of that. I make sure that, you know, all the buttons, bows and bells are stitched on and so that they don't get pulled off. You know, can a child bite that? If so, how big does it need to be so it doesn't go down their throat? You know, just yeah. all sorts of things that um, that people don't think about that are needed in creating items. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's interesting to hear uh, the things that sound like they cross over a lot directly to working in corporate fashion versus yeah. the things that seem a little different. Um, do y'all have like technical designers as well or because it seems like when if you're saying that the productions on the production side you do a lot of like some of the tech packs and the specs and whatnot that's in in the fashion world that would be all the stuff that like a technical designer would do first right is that that position just just moved into production yeah so Mm -hmm. we're really small um (laughs) and um yeah i i say i'm a product developer but what i actually am as a kind of a combination of a few different uh, positions that you would see in a corporate fashion world mm-hmm. um, or a corporate manufacturing of, of any kind. Um, because I do, I'm like a project manager. So I make sure that all of my timelines are met, that I'm um, right. falling within the, in the budget that I'm, I'm past um, that sort of thing. And then I'm also making sure that all the technical aspects are met. So everything, you know, is this going to pass testing? If it's not, what do we need to use? Um, all of the technical specifications, specifications, there we go. <laughs> um, making sure that, you know, all of the, all of the grading is done correctly. And if not, like what's the tolerance? So mm-hmm. I definitely do all of those. I mean, the only thing I really don't do is I'm not a pattern maker. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so yeah, as far as like my job, title it covers a lot of different things that i do (laughs) yeah that sounds like a lot for sure um and i do want to also uh you know concur slash add on to you mentioning you know that the factories that you work with in in china go through testing and whatnot so like you know if you follow me at all on the internet you know i yell a lot about sweatshops and factories Yeah. Um, yeah but uh yeah, I do also want to say that, you know, this is it's not like a, a China problem. Like, it's not like right. it's all the not. factories in China are garbage. That's not the way it is. There are terrible factories and terrible working practices all over the world, including in our own country. There are sweatshops run in our country. So, like, it's not a if it's made in China, it's bad. Like, that's right. not that's not what's happening here. <laughs> right. Right. No. So sweatshops are bad and you know not treating workers with respect dignity and basic rights is bad and that exactly it can happen anywhere in the world 
It's just yeah. China has a really bad rep now. And right. And as soon as I say I work with factories in China, people automatically assume that I am this terrible, like slave driver, slumlord. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not it. Mm-hmm. It's not it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's circle back to, to modeling, um, stuff again. So pre-starting to model, um, what was your relationship, if any, with both the fashion industry and also just like fashion for yourself, like shopping for yourself? Yeah. So I've always been like the fashionable one. (laughs) I've Mm -hmm. always loved fashion. Um, but being a fat kid in rural America, like my fashion, was limited um just in the scope of what i saw and what i was around and and what i had access to um Mm -hmm. it started to change a little bit when i was you know in high school i was trying to kind of you know figure out who i am and everything and how fashion fit into that um and then i got into college i actually studied music so um i did that in my undergrad um and i moved to la from idaho to actually get into um, music management Mm. that didn't uh, pan out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I decided to actually go to fashion school and I studied marketing at FITM. Yeah, so I, in 2012 was the time that it all kind of like came to light for me. And I was like, you know what? I really do love fashion and I want to make it a career and I want to get into this, this industry. And so in 2013, I went back to school and, and, um, got a merchandise marketing degree. And then right about as I, that same year, as I finished FITM, that's, I, I, um, I got a job running the photo studio and that's that uh, next year is when I really started modeling. So 2014, 14 is when I started modeling. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, definitely your running theme to a lot, a lot of people that I talk to that they're like, you know, I wanted to be interested in fashion, but there just <laughs> wasn't feasible. Yeah. yeah well, and such- I grew up, I'm, I'm a late eighties kid. So I grew up in the nineties in rural America and like the nineties in rural America were, whoo, they were a time. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then I was in high school in the early 2000s. And like, that was a terrible time for fashion anywhere. <laughs> it was bad. Uh, I wore so many low rise jeans as a fat kid. And I was like, why did I do that? Um, and so then I, in college, I went through a lot of phases, honestly. Um, I'm, I come from, when I say rural America, I mean like redneck. My family is a bunch of hillbillies, rural America. Uh, I'm not ashamed about that. It's definitely where I came from, but whew, got some stories. Um, so in college, I was, you know, finding myself and I definitely went through like, no, I really am a redneck phase. And then I was like, no, actually, I'm like an emo kid. And then I finished college and I was like, I'm a metalhead. And then <laughs> <laughs> and then I got into pinup right around that time as well. So when I moved to California in 2011, I was really into like the pinup vintage vibe, which is super cool. Um, I actually met quite a few friends through it, um, that community, but it mm-hmm. also didn't fit me right either. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I 
I started to dive a little bit more into the fashion industry and high fashion. And that was about the time where the high fashion houses were really starting to get pressure to clothe and provide plus size options. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, um, that's when you started seeing a little bit more, a little bit more designers say, you know, oh, well, I'll, I'll clothe her. I'll clothe her, <laughs> right. you know. So, and that's, you know, that's where we're still at today. Yeah, that's, that's very true. There's a lot of, um, oh, I'll make a custom thing for this person, but I'll still limit my size range in real life. And you won't see any of representation of that at all on my website. <laughs> right. And even if they do have plus size, it's only to like a 20, but the 20 is actually like a 14 because it's cut so small. And mm-hmm. Yeah. All of that wonderful just bullshit it's all performative <laughs> absolutely look look good on your instagram but um that's about it not really pulled over into practice exactly um so speaking of that <laughs> uh, i'm sure there are many things but what are maybe the one or two main things you would like to see change in specifically the modeling world but then also the the fashion world Oh man. Um, (laughs) I want models to give a shit. Mm. Like I, I know it's a, um, it's a fine line because they are assets. They're business assets for these agencies. So once you get to a point where you are represented by an agent and an agency and you have a certain reputation that you must uphold, I understand that. However, you're still a human and you still should be willing and able to, to stand up for what's right in the world Mm -hmm. and what you think is right. And I feel mm-hmm. like there's too many models out there that would rather keep a paycheck than than do what's right. Yeah. And that's really disappointing. For I mean when you're when you're making money as a, as a model, when you are when that is your your sole income and you have a a certain celebrity to you you should be making good decisions. And if you're not, then you need to be taking responsibility for those decisions. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like there's not enough models in general, not just plus size models, but but specifically plus size, because that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, they just need to give a shit more, like really stand up and say and call things out and say, you know what? This does happen because the industry is fat phobic. This does happen because the industry is racist. This does happen because people won't take a chance on, on fat people like they will on thin people. And, Mm -hmm. and I just think that we need to be speaking up about the things that no one wants to say because it's important. And that's how you get change. Mm -hmm. And then just, I mean, just as a, as an industry, like, Give fat people cooler clothes. Like, just, like that's what I want to see. I want to see the swing top with cold shoulder thrown out the fucking window because it's <laughs> terrible. Oh. And I want to see, I want to see no more paisley prints on a cotton t-shirt 
we can get rid of that. <laughs> that doesn't fit well to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. it's just like we we as fat people can do so much better and we deserve so much better. And it's so frustrating to scroll through a big plus size brand and just see 300 tops that all look the same and that I wouldn't let my mother touch with a 10 foot pole. It's just, I don't understand. I don't understand how they think that that's all we deserve. Mm -hmm. That's really disappointing. I agree. And I think that um, what needs to happen is that the conversations need to happen at every level. Right. And like, personally, what I've, what I've seen on my end um, and what I'm trying to attempt to help to fix on my end is that it also needs to happen at the education level. Because if you're teaching a bunch of folks who are going to go work in corporate uh, fashion design, because that's the majority of fashion design is is at like, you know, a corporate level. um, Those people cannot be taught, you know, fat phobic design. And what I mean by fat phobic design is by implying exactly what you just said, that like plus size people only want to wear tents and they are okay with, you know, a hundred of the same shirt that are just slightly different that don't fit because they don't even like themselves. So who cares, you know? And like at my business course at, at Parsons, um, I mean, which first of all, finding a business fashion business textbook that brings up plus size is oh, uh, as, as far as I've been able to do uh, impossible. So um, yeah, I the have only, the only plus size conversation I ever had at FITM was when I brought it up. Yeah, exactly. So I have, um, you know, added it in my curriculum on my own because it doesn't mm-hmm. exist already. And when I do that, even when I do that, I get a little bit of pushback from some students, not all of them. But, you know, I straight up had a student ask, like, oh, but, you know, I want to design, like, really avant-garde, like, cool, you know, like, interesting shapes yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And, like, d- and, like, don't plus-size people, like, not want that because they don't, like, they don't like their bodies, so blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, do you think that all straight-size people feel the same way about themselves and want the same kind of clothes as one another? Because if you don't think that about straight-size people, I really don't understand how you think that about plus-size people. No one is a monolith. <laughs> exactly. It's just, yeah, it's it's bizarre. I mean, it, the same way that that there's all these horrible, damaging stereotypes in medicine, the, I mean, we're not literally killing people in fashion, right, but, right, right, right. but like the same it's the same mindset you know like well these people they just we just already know everything about them and and fat people are just they're just they hate themselves and they're gross well mm-hmm. no that's not that's not how this works <laughs> right right no. exactly and it's it, it to be to be able to stand there straight face and like actually with your whole chest say that that's what you believe it's just mind blowing to me Oh, I know it. I know it. And like, and and honestly, the way she was saying it, this this particular student, um, it was like she really was like, yeah, this is what I've been taught. Is that not true? Like, like truly, like didn't get it. And I and like, um, that I and you know, obviously, that's not a great uh um example of maybe the um self-education she's been attempting to do but it also is is in my opinion even more of an example of just like this is what society has taught this person and this is what her previous experience in 
fashion design courses has taught her. And that is unacceptable. And my guess is she didn't have any fat friends. So this person is actually, she's, um, I mean, I don't know her friends, obviously, I only see her in the class, but she's um, on the curvier, bigger end of stride size as well, this this person. Interesting. So um, I would assume there's probably also some, like, internalized stuff going on, oh, if, I yeah. were, if I were going to guess. But, oh, um, yeah. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I'm glad that she felt um, able to at least, like, ask that of me, because she didn't yeah. ask it in, like, a malicious way she truly was like confused um and so i'm and so i'm glad that you know that happened and i was able to give her that answer that she needs and hopefully that um you know changes her course and her thinking a little bit as she moves forward uh into the world but oh man (laughs) it just it just needs to be corrected at so many levels yeah Um, yeah it does mm -hmm. so to close out our little chat um what is something you might have to say to a fellow uh plus size person fat person who has similarly maybe they're younger than you and they've like you know i feel like i'm interested in fashion but there's no place for me or i've wanted to try to model but i feel like i would not be accepted um what would you say to that person i say you need to do your homework first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, like the Gen Z um, 20-ish people that are just starting out and they're like, this is my career. This is my industry. This is what I want to do. Do your homework. Don't mm-hmm. don't assume that just because it hasn't been put in front of you that it hasn't existed before. Um, mm-hmm. Do your homework. Know who you should be supporting and who you should be calling out. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone in the industry is a good person. Not everyone in the industry wants to see you succeed. Um, be careful. <laughs> be really careful. Um, now more than ever, we need to be really aware of who we're, who we're supporting with our wallets, with our money, with our, our voices with our platforms um it it means more now than it did 10 years ago um Mm -hmm. saying that you that you like a model um and you want to support that model let's say um someone else who's who has more celebrity than you or whatever it is uh be sure that you want to put your stamp of approval on another person um Mm -hmm. because it's it means something now it holds holds value holds weight and it will be it will be important to others Mm -hmm. and and how you make your way through the industry Mm. yeah i think that's i think that's that's kind of good advice for uh for anyone (laughs) yeah i I, it's just it's something that i've really really come to be a strong proponent of in the last couple years um Mm -hmm just with the way that our society is falling mm-hmm. around us. Um, and just, we live in a, we live in a world where it's important. It's not, it is important now. It may, I mean, yes, it was important then, but it's really important now. And we need to be holding brands 
and influencers and models and celebrities to a higher standard. And we, they need to get on our level. They need to, to humanize themselves a bit more and say, you know what, we care about other people than just ourselves. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I feel like we covered so many different um, aspects of modeling and fashion and production all over the place. I know, right? Um, (laughs) uh, Where where can folks follow you on the internet? Oh my goodness. You can follow me. If you type in Megan Kimberling, I will pop up everywhere. Mm. Um, I have, my first name is M-E-G-A-N. So just mm-hmm. five letters. Mm-hmm. And my last name is not Kimberly, like the female name, but Kimberling, like it ends in L-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm Megan Kimberling on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, my website is MeganKimberling.com where you can find, I do have an occasional blog that I call my diary. It's on there. And it also has a link to Source Create, which is my creative direction outlet, platform, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that's Source Create for my creative direction. And yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Wonderful. And I will also hyperlink um, the majority of those things in the show notes. So you can just click on them from there. So thank you so much, Megan. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for asking me. This was great. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Fashion for All. Please be sure to check our show notes for information and links to our guests and their work. Be sure to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. For more Smart Glamour goodness, you can head to smartglamour.com and follow us on Facebook at backslash smartglamour and Instagram at smart underscore glamour. Thanks. <laughs>